right? Because we impose on God who God should be instead of letting God define himself. Welcome to the Grace Top Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, your host, and today we have an awesome guest. He's a good friend of mine. So I wanted him to first kind of give you guys an introduction of who he is, a little bit of his background, and then he's going to kick off our conversation for us. So Manuel, how are you today? I'm very great, Josh. I never call you pastor and you never um, insist on anybody calling you pastor. So I'm just going to call you Josh. That uh, sounds like in our friendship, you know. Yeah. I My name is Manuel. I am Colombian. I am 24, recently married. I am a theology student in the Adventist University here in Colombia, in Medellin more specifically. And I had an interesting upbringing, which is part of the reason that I'm in this conversation right now. Um, I lived in several countries growing up, Colombia, where I was born, Venezuela, Panama, and short stint in China. So I've had, uh, I've been blessed by the opportunity from God to, you know, view the world from a perspective that not many people get to have. So that has really shaped who I am. And it's the reason I'm so, part of the reason I'm so interested in the question, which is today's topic of discussion, who is God, right? So um, I have to preface that by saying we're both, well, uh, Josh is a pastor and I'm studying to become one or something similar to it. And one could safely assume, societally speaking, that we know who God is because we're supposed to teach people who God is, right? (laughs) That's what society um, qualifies us as. And also the people that go to church. If you know somebody that goes to church, you're going to ask them who God is in Mm. different ways. Maybe not directly, but you'll ask them, well, if God's so good, then why are people dying? Or if God's so good, then like explain to me who God is. How is, how is that consistent when it comes to his character? I don't know if you want to interject there, Josh, about that specifically, maybe that discrepancy that people view when it comes to defining who God is. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you brought up a good point of like who God is as in that's his character because really we're, we're dealing with two questions. The first is what is a God? Like what is God as in like his nature or his, uh, his essence. And then who is God as in his character or what kind of, like, what is he like as a, as a being? And I think there's a lot of issues when you try to talk about the nature of God, because, um, although there are a lot of philosophical perspectives on the nature of God, the, consistent theme is that he is bigger than humans can really totally comprehend, right? Like there is this, uh, especially from the Christian perspective, like he's, he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He like, anyways, he's all powerful. He is, he's in all places at all times and he knows all things. And so we, we say these things like all things and all powerful and infinite as if we know what we're saying. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible, although it definitely gives us kind of glimpses and kind of some structure of who God is, it definitely focuses on God's character, right? Right. So I think we can, I really like that distinction. And I think that's a good way to streamline the conversation because we could have a three hour long podcast about (laughs) the nature of what a God is, right? 
But yeah. I think that you and I, for today, are more interested in God's character, right? Absolutely. So I think that Christian people, I'd like, I'd like to quote the Bible or paraphrase it to be more exact. I think it's in 1 John 4, 8, where it says that he who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love, mm. right? So that's, for me, where the quandary begins because I know that I don't love a lot of people. Today, I was at the supermarket and I <laughs> realized that I didn't grab something. So I left my car and I ran and this old lady cut the line. She like she wasn't a right to do so because I just left my car there. There's no you know etiquette that says that she has to keep my spot for me. In fact, I grabbed two things and she cut after I grabbed the second thing, which is fair. You know, yeah. plus she had less stuff than me, but I still gave her a death stare, like a deadly <laughs> stare that wasn't full of love. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah, for yeah. me, it, it's small. It's a small, like people might say, you know, ah, that's not, that's nothing. But things like that are telling of what I'm capable of and definitely of what other people are capable of. Right. Yeah. I'm capable of judging people unfairly is the point. And that's not loving. And that means that I have not come into contact with God entirely. You know, I don't know the full extent of who God is because if I did, I'd be more like him. And even Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says that. At the end of the chapter, he says that right now we behold through um, a mirror that is kind of foggy, like a bronze mirror. That's yeah. what mirrors were like at the time. And that's the way we understand God. And we view him through that lens, which is foggy, right? The lens of culture, the lens of sin, the lens of time, right? All yeah. these things, they limit our ability to know God, right? And we, a lot of the time, especially you and I, because we're leaders in the church, we don't take that into account. We don't take into account our limitations when it comes to knowing God. So we have to strip back all our biases and come down to the idea that we don't know who God is in terms of his character. Yeah. Well, and, and so in the same way, like I like what you're saying is it's not only that we, as you, know, you and I, who are spiritual leaders, so to speak, right. Um, underestimate how little we understand about God, but that the people who we are supposed to be pastors with like church members and friends and family who know us assume that once we choose this role in our lives, that we're going to be like a monk who just studies this, you know, we're alone in our cave reading all day and praying all day. And then at some point we're going to reach this like glowing state of perfection. We're going to come out and every word we say and every step we take is like this, this, you know, perfect representation of who God is. And, and I like how we, we need to differentiate between like first his nature and his character but also mm -hmm. how much of that have I understood? So kind of the question is really, and I think you mentioned this earlier, how do we know or how do we come into contact with this God? Right? Because if I say I want to worship him and I want to be like him, how do I come into contact with him? So we're if, if let's say somebody came up to you and said, uh, which in the future, I think this may be the case, Pastor Manuel, how do I know God more? Right? Like what, what, would, be, what would be your first gut response? Like what are you going to, boom, what's your answer? Say they catch me after a sermon and I'm just like super hungry after a Sabbath morning. You know, the knee jerk reaction is read the Bible more. 
right? Because we, you even said that, that the Bible is the testimony of God's character. And yeah, I have yeah, to, yeah. like for any listeners, I have to admit several presuppositions that Josh and I share. We share the yeah. presupposition that God exists, and we share the presupposition that the Bible is a faithful testimony to who he is, right? Mm -hmm. Those are things that we're not going to be discussing today that can be discussed and should be discussed if one is going to be a thoughtful Christian, right? Um, but going back to the question, I don't want to deviate too much. I think that reading the Bible can only get you so far. And I've, I've experienced that. And I know you know that I've experienced so, that. So let's say you said that to like a conservative Christian. They're going to they're gonna pull back on you saying that, right? They're going to feel uncomfortable How with come? that idea. Why would with you that, say that? that the, you know, like, like if you went to a conservative Adventist or a conservative Methodist or conservative Lutheran and you said, you can only get so far with the Bible, mm -hmm. right? There are, there are assumptions they're making of what you mean. Like, like is the Bible going to have a limit? Or like what's the problem with the Bible? Like where does the mm -hmm. Bible stop being functional yeah. for me? Yeah, right? yeah. Is it not trustworthy? Is are the, is the Bible not useful anymore? Maybe it's trustworthy, but times have changed so much since it was written that maybe it's not useful anymore. And I like that you say that because it helps me answer to the question. I think that the Bible is useful in so far that it's like a Facebook profile, right? Okay, or okay. maybe the most specific Facebook. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's one that sheds light on the fact that you can't meet a person without talking to them. You can read many biographies on mm -hmm. Sigmund Freud, for example, right? That talk yeah, about yeah. the issues he maybe had with his parents. Or you can read a biography on whomever. And in spite of the fact, you can't claim you know them. And we go back to the idea that we want to love. We And uh, something else that I think is very relevant to knowing God. And the reason we might want to get to know him is salvation. In John mm -hmm. 17, Jesus says that salvation or eternal life is what he says. Eternal life is knowing the Father, right? So if I want to know the Father, I can't just read the Facebook profile for who he is, right? Or his biography, quote unquote. Not exactly a biography of who God is, the Bible. But I think that that's where the... So the Bible can give you an overview. And it it's a very specific overview that whenever you go back to it, it changes, right? You can read the same passage several times and you're like, oh, I really didn't understand what that meant. Or what it implied mm. when I first read it when I was five years old, right? For at least for myself, I was born Adventist. Yeah. So there's many stories and many chapters and whatever that I've read in my young adulthood at the moment that have new meaning, right? So the Bible is super useful and it's a living document. But I think that for this question, right, this hypothetical um, brother or sister who is asking, I think that you have to know to know God. You have to realize what you think about God first. I think that's my definitive answer. Mm -hmm. You have to know what you think about God so that you know what he's going to tear down. And I think that mm -hmm. this might lead into the next portion of our conversation is how does God want us to get to know him? We're asking mm -hmm. how can we get to know him? without asking him if he wants to reveal himself to us and yeah. how would he do that? Well, and that kind of goes back to one of those assumptions, right? Is that the assumption is that God wants to make himself known, right? It's like, big, it'd yeah. be like, uh, how much does Manuel 
want to make himself known to the ants out in the anthill in the yard. Right. It's like you could assume that God is so big that he has no interest in revealing himself to us. Right. But the whole assumption is the assumption, like, why is there even a Bible? Why is, why did Jesus come? Why did he send the Holy Spirit? So if we're going to look at the Bible and the Christian perspective and you want to value, and, and I tell this to people all the time who aren't Christian, right? It's like, you can judge the Bible and you should, but you need to judge it based on its own entire worldview. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they'll take part of it. Like um, they'll see something in the old Testament or the new Testament that they don't like. And then they, they don't accept the assumptions. Right. So like when the Bible says that God takes life, it's like, well, that's not fair. That's not, but the Bible assumption is that God is the source of life and that he's the, that he's good. And that those who don't have him don't know how to can't love in the long term and will, will self-destruct and, Sin will take over their life. So like, that's just an example of if you don't take the whole package, then it doesn't make sense, right? Mm-hmm. It would be like a uh, somebody looking at evolution and not accepting the whole package and them just saying, well, that one part is stupid. So I think the whole thing is stupid. It's like, no, you have to judge it for its whole package. And I think, I, for example, I would say evolution is lacking if you look at the whole thing. And I don't want to go off into that. But my point is the Bible right. makes the assumption that God has revealed himself in fact, that's one of the main parts of the good news is that I'm a broken person and that God has sent, well, first the Old Testament, right? The the law, the prophets, and then his own son, and then the Holy Spirit, yeah. right? And so there's all these times where God has initiated himself. And so the question though is, now that I'm on earth, like in the 21st century, how do we in, encounter God, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so- Let's say, once again, let's go back to that question. Church member comes up to you or a non-Christian who just went to church for the first time says, pastor, I really, you know, I'm, I want to know, I want to understand what the Bible, like, I want to know this God of the Bible better. So your first thing is read the Bible more. Okay. And then you're saying, well, there might be limitations there. So how can they, how can they maneuver? How can they walk that path of processing all of that? I think that what I, what I said well, the last thing I said in, during my last intervention is realizing who you think God is, right? So I think that you need to explore through experience what you think about God and be very mindful. Mm. So I, I can, in my experience, I've realized that I think God can be very strict, that he can be very demanding to, a, to an absurd extent. Right. It's similar to what you were saying earlier about needing to be perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. We sometimes think that we need to be perfect. And I think that God feels that way about me. And that is a screen. Going back to first Corinthians 13, that is a screen. That is a mirror that I view God through. It's a filter. Anything that I encounter that comes from God is affected by that idea that I think God ultimately requires and demands me to be perfect so that he can have a relationship with me. Mm. So I don't believe God is capable of really loving me or of really understanding me if I'm not perfect, right? How have I come to realize that is the question, right? You're asking me, and this hypothetical person is asking us, how do you get to know God? You have to get to know what you think about God. And how do you get to know what you think about God? By experience. By I think that the first one might be, Loving other people, right? Mm. When you love other people, you 
begin to understand love and God is love, right? And when you reach the barriers of love, I'm not willing to go past that. I can't love you if you did that to me, right? Mm -hmm. Yesterday, my sister, I got angry at her, right? She was like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving you guys and I'm taking a cab. And it was a tough moment, you know, with family. And I got very angry at that. So I realized that I lack control and that made me angry, right? So maybe I, I project that about myself onto God, right? Yeah. When God doesn't have control, he's going to be angry at me. He's going to push me away from, my, from him, right? Mm -hmm. So getting to know yourself, I think, might be the answer. I'm, I'm thinking as I'm speaking, right? This might not be the most organized um, answer or intervention. But I think that the more you get to know yourself, the more you get to know what you think about God. Because so, I think, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. But So what? I'll just kind of recapitulate what you're trying to say. And I think to see if I'm right, right? So what you're saying is like, I have, when I come to know God, when I come to the desire to know him, I decide I'm going to go on this journey with God, which is mm -hmm. kind of the focus of this podcast, right? How do I walk with God in practical ways? And you're saying, okay, how do I walk with God in knowing him more? And basically what you're saying is that when you start this journey, you're going to have assumptions about who God is. And so you need to, like, of course, read the Bible and try to practice the things you're reading. And then as you do that, that's going to reveal areas where you think you understood who God was, but you're actually totally off. So for example, you said that you think God is basically really harsh and critical and okay, but how does that compare to what the scripture says in, you know, where God is love. And then the Bible defines love is patient. Love is kind. Or how does that work when, um, and then, and, and I'm going to take it a step further than what you said. You you just got married. How long ago did you get married? It's very I recent. got married three months ago, three and a bit. Three months ago. I was the one who did the wedding, wasn't I? Yeah, that was a yes. good time. Man, I'm so happy for you guys. Now, so when the Bible talks about the church being like God's bride, now mm -hmm. you have a whole new perspective of that, right? Where like you mm -hmm. know that Made, your wife, Madeline, could make huge mistakes and be totally ridiculous and probably in the best version of yourself, you're not going to be cruel and, and harsh and exacting on her. You're going to be patient and kind, and you're going to try to help her to grow. So maybe that's an example of what you're saying. Well, if you allow me to like, um, yeah, 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 yeah. What yeah. I've realized is God loves me through her because I feel like she is far too merciful with me mm -hmm. and far too patient with certain immature attitudes that I have and certain weaknesses that I have. And I can't help but ask myself sometimes, why is she here? Or why does she have faith, right? And she's here because it's been like my answer, my cynical, faithless answer is she's here because it's only been three months, right? But uh. the godly, true, say biblical answer is she's there because she believes in you, invariably, mm. you know? And that's that's who God is, right? If, if So God, say... I think that Madeline sacrifices time, right? When I'm being cynical, when I'm being depressive, whatever. I think that Madeline is sacrificing her time by being with me, right? She's sacrificing yeah. her energy, her money, her youth, whatever. Those are things she's sacrificing because she has faith in me. What did God sacrifice because he had faith in us? Wow. wow. Right? Wow. It's far more. And having living life with my wife helps me realize what sacrifice is, what love is, right? 
And when I extrapolate that or when I compare that to God, I realize, wow, he really loves me. Because not only he gave his son, God also gave time, but it wasn't months. It was centuries and millennia, right? So now we're beginning to answer the question about who God is, right? Through the study of the Bible, because all these things, Jesus' death, his resurrection, the um, long suffering that God had yeah. with Israel, okay. right? Can I jump into that for a second? Yeah. Because I don't want to miss yeah. that thought. So look, like, and, and you're the guest, right? So we'll go back to you. But I, I just, I love this idea because it's connected. It's something I've recently been studying. So just for those who are biblically literate or you've maybe heard of God's judgment, right? Like we as Christians have this fear of the judgment, right? But the whole issue is that God is, and I don't have time to justify this. So just take it from my word. But there's a biblical idea that at the end of time, God is actually going to stand at like, and be judged basically for the fact that he didn't, convict us for our sin immediately, right? Adam and Eve, when they sinned, when you and I have sinned in our own lives, like when we lie, cheat, steal, when a woman is raped or murdered or whatever, why doesn't God just immediately go boom and just smash that person for the horrible? Because there are some sins that even non-Christians would admit are horrible. But the fact that God has hope, he's holding out hope, that even those broken people can be saved and be changed. And so he doesn't immediately give them the reward or the, what they deserve for their sin so that they can be changed and be redeemed and be saved by the blood of the lamb. And that's why at the end of time, there's this thing where basically God has held the responsibility for all of the sins. And the world is saying, okay, has God been just in the way he's dealt with sin? And now can sin be given to the one who's responsible for it, which is Satan? And I, so that's kind of a weird theological turn. But the point is, like, God's character is revealing himself. And it's not just in history, but it's also in our own lives. And that's how we come to know him more. God's character is revealing himself through history. So you're saying that's a, a characteristic that he has. That, like, what one of the things that defines who God is as a character is that he wants to show himself. Yes. Yes, Andy, right. and he like he has this ability to understand that I need time to understand him. That there is a process that I have to go through. And I think Adventists struggle with this, right? I think conservative Christians struggle with this. We think like if I say a fact about God and it goes into your eardrum, then you should immediately understand it, apply right. it to your life, and become okay. changed. The problem is right. like the kingdom of heaven is referred to like fruit, like trees, like a vine, like like seeds that Just grow. Right. It all takes time. And it's a it process. Been, yeah. And there's, you know, well, John 15, right? There's the um, groomer. What's the word in English for that? I forget. El labrador in Spanish, but I'm not sure. The, it's uh, the word. It says that yeah. Jesus is divine, right? And that the, the father is where the branches and he has to come and cut them basically. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's because in spite of the fact that there is a vine or that is yielding fruit, that is doing its job, it still has some space to grow. It has space to improve. Mm. And God is cognizant of that. And he yeah. acts upon his cognizance, upon his knowledge, which is omniscient. But we don't, right? Mm. And that's where our presuppositions about God begin to operate, right? Because we impose on God who God should be instead of letting God define himself. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to use a story which is very telling about this fact. It's in John 13, 
It's when Jesus decides to wash the feet of all the disciples. Uh, and just to show the fact that it's not just that disciples and ourselves, we impose on Jesus who we should be. We also impose it on the Father and by extension on the Holy Spirit because the chapter after that, Jesus says, whomever has seen me has seen the Father. Right. Yeah. So whatever the disciples did to Jesus, they were doing to the Father to a certain extent. Mm. And what happened, to get to the point is, Jesus and his disciples came for a dinner, a very special dinner, and they were walking on a road made out of dirt with sandals in the first century CE. So there was, it was dirty, big time dirty, right? And normally people, when they walked into a house of affluence, they got their feet washed by a slave, but there was no slave. So Jesus took the job of a slave. Right. How do you think that characterizes Jesus? How is Jesus trying to characterize himself when he does that? Yes, he did that to himself. He put himself there. That's crazy. Right. So how does and I think that he's trying to send a message about who he thinks he is. Mm. Jesus is trying to say, I am this. What is he trying to say? He's about a servant, himself. Yeah. He's a servant. What else? Himself. What else do you think? Yeah. Well, he's willing to take. So the the like part of what's going on in my mind. I don't know if you remember when uh, Bush was giving a speech and this woman threw a sandal at him. <laughs> that was right funny. because she was trying to put shame upon him. Because mm -hmm. in Middle Eastern culture, the bottom of your foot is the most disgusting thing. It is shameful to even see the bottom of someone's foot, let alone go around and rub their feet, rub the dirt it's off. Crazy. Jesus was taking on the shame of a servant. By going around and wiping their feet, right? And so what does that tell you that Jesus wants to communicate about his character and about yeah. God's character, the Father's? Yeah. What is he trying to say? Well, yeah, like he's he's willing to lower himself and serve. And I, and I like, it kind of brings up what you were saying earlier about the idea that it's an experience that we really see this. Because when you find yourself in a place where you could low, where you could serve, how often are you unwilling to do that and you instead make them serve you? And then you mm -hmm. see that picture of Jesus serving other people and you're like, oh my goodness, he, I, he's nothing like me. He's a lot. There's something special going on here. Right. So, and now comes the presupposition part. Jesus washed everybody's feet. And then this disciple, this friend of his, this follower of his, Peter, wouldn't let Jesus wash his feet. He was like, you, I, you can't wash me. Jesus' right? response. And, and then Jesus says... If I can't wash you, then you're not going to have a party with me. You're not going to be related to me in an intimate mm. sense. And then Peter's like, oh, my God, then wash me on my hands and my feet and whatever, everything, right? And it's something that us Christians, we – Peter is like a funny guy. He's the comedic relief in the New Testament, right, in the <laughs> Gospels. And that is to our own detriment because we focus on Peter instead of focusing on Jesus. And what Peter's actions tell us about what we do to Jesus. So Peter is saying, you aren't worthy of my feet because of who I think you are. You mm. are too good or I am too bad and you are too powerless in comparison to my evilness that you're, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And, and who has authority in that scenario? Where Peter, Peter is telling Jesus, himself. yeah, right. Peter's trying to lift himself over Jesus. He's taking the authority, right? Wow. So that's how I think we realize our presuppositions through the Bible. Well, By 
Yeah, go ahead. And, and Jesus says, like, if you don't accept this about me, right, you don't get to go to heaven. I think Jesus, yeah, Jesus shows himself who he is. Jesus shows Peter who he is. And Peter's job is to accept. It's like, I am who I say I am. And you don't get to define what godliness is. And godliness is in this story. And I think every story is a lot better than I would have it be. I would have Jesus be mm -hmm. the king who is served. But Jesus says, I'm the, the, the king who becomes the servant. But so are we willing to be loved is the question then. Ooh. <laughs> right. Peter is not yeah. willing to accept the fact that Jesus is greater. And this is like such a Christian cliche, but it happens at least for me every day. Right. When Jesus is trying to, or God or somebody who is represents them in my life, my wife, my parents, you sometimes yeah. when people are trying to love us, are we willing to submit to love? Right. And that's who Jesus is. He's asking us to submit. Right. It's a directive. It's an order. Like you have to accept that I love you. Right. It's, it's like kind of ironic. Right. The fact that normally people are ordered to submit to something that they don't want. Right. Eat your broccoli or do this job for 16 hours a day. And that's when you that's we think of submission in that framework. But everybody wants to be loved. But apparently not. Apparently, we only want to be loved when it when we are right. I am only go willing to be loved when it's the love that I want to receive, right? And that's where we begin to know God when he starts fighting those presuppositions, when we when he starts fighting against our tendency to try to define them. Well, and I and I like how beautiful this really is cuz it's basically this is either a negative thing of God to to put himself out there or it's a good thing. And the the thing is what we assume about if he's good or not. And and I think your story has and forgive me if this is too personal, but I think there's a beautiful thing here where you struggled to get married to Male because you didn't think she should love you, right? You didn't think you were good enough for her. And what was my response? Do you remember what I told you? I can't know. I remember I, when we had the conversation, but I don't remember. Well, because exactly I remember you, you like proposed like days later because you wanted to propose. You loved her. You were so excited. And I basically, and you said, you said to me, Josh, I don't think, I'm good enough for her. Like, I don't have, how can I love her? It's like, it's not, I don't, I shouldn't be with her. And I basically just said, well, Manuel, you don't get to decide if she loves you. You have to That's like true. accept her. You love her and she loves you back. Just accept her love. And then literally two days later, I think it was you proposed. I mean, to, yeah, sort of. So I remember, and that's like, so who is God then? Let's bring it back. Let's reel it yeah. back. If if we're, and this is very personal, as you said, I don't mind it being shared because this is, I like it. I like being vulnerable. I think that it's, well, Jesus was being vulnerable when he washed other people's feet, right? So yeah. um, who is God? Seeing, seeing as I myself, right? I don't like to accept love. And Jesus is trying to love me. Then what is the next step after that? Right, I would think would be the next, so that other people can relate to this, right? How can other people find those? I'm kind of turning it back. Uh, how can other people find those? Um, this might be a big term. Those epistemological strongholds, right, yeah, yeah, or yeah. epistemological lagoons that they have. These ideas that you have that you don't know you have, or these processes to acquire knowledge that you don't know you have, but they're they're at work all the time 
and that Jesus is trying to tear down. In my example, it's the presupposition that anything that I encounter has to be filtered through the fact that I'm not worthy, right? Any any compliment that I receive, mm. any show of love for my wife or from, from anybody has to be filtered through the idea that I'm not worthy, right? That's my epistemological. Epistemology is the idea of how we acquire knowledge, right? Yeah. And I acquire knowledge through that filter about mm. myself, right? So how can people find out their epistemological filter? How can people know how they understand things specifically pertaining to God? Yeah. Well, it makes me think of a text where Jesus says, like, to he who has, more will be given. And to he who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. And so it's this idea yes. of like a like a, it, a simple answer is it's like the snowball effect. And so I think of, I liked your idea of strongholds, right? There's, there's areas like, let's say marriage, nature, uh, the Bible, prayer, our church, our friends, whoops, I just said Yeah, music. And there are, there are areas where like, so let's say you start with the Bible, okay? But you have all these assumptions that cloud it so much. And then the Bible talks about love. The Bible talks about marriage. And so now in your marriage, and as you're in this journey of life, right, you start seeing like your assumptions about things are a little off. And you compare, it's usually where the, the strongholds compare to each other. So like stronghold of scripture tells you one thing and then mm. you're, the way you're assuming things like you, you mentioned about your wife, those things don't match, right? So, okay. So then you're saying, okay, it would be, my marriage would actually be better if I, if I accepted the things the Bible is saying, right? I, and so I think like, for example, Romans one and two give us this beautiful picture of how God reveals himself through nature. Right. And so you can see God's handiwork in nature through beauty, through things growing, through plants, through fruit, through um, fractals, which is an amazing thing. Right. Um, and then that should lead you towards towards God, towards a deeper knowledge of who he is. And so now as you read scripture, you're going to have a better view of who God is because you understand nature more like these things kind of build on each other. They, they kind of help each, each other. other become more beautiful. Right. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I. It's difficult, nevertheless, to really grapple with these things. And I think that we can talk about consistency, right, when it mm. comes to trying to know who God is, because for at least for myself, I sometimes find that I evaluate my efforts and I conclude that they're an exercise in futility. That I'm never going to get to know who God is, right? Mm. For me, what tells me that I'm never get I'm never going to get to know who God is because my actions don't reflect His character, right? So, when when we're trying to define God's character and we're trying to get closer to it, how can we deal with this um, despair or maybe this uh, yearning to quit? Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's like back to the, back to those um, strongholds, right? So, like, sometimes in your life, you can look at God's holiness and His power and His like just how big He is, and you can be amazed by it, right? But if that's all that there was about God, mm. how am I supposed to connect to this God? Yes, right. Good. There's an image in the Old Testament. 
Jacob's ladder, right? Jacob is laying down. He lays his head on a rock. He has a dream. And on this dream, there's a ladder that comes from heaven, goes all the way down to the earth. And there are angels ascending and descending on it. Mm-hmm. And the Bible calls Jesus this ladder, right? Mm. So the all-powerful God of the universe becomes a human, becomes a mm-hmm. baby in a physical yep. location at a physical time. And so the bigness, the power, the overwhelming nature of God becomes this boiled down kind of super intense, small version. And Mm. he spends time with drunk people and prostitutes and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so then I can relate to this small God who is just as powerful and just as good as God, but he's boiled himself down. He's limited himself to human size and human form so that I can connect to him. And so then it's what, what is interesting is like the Bible, this idea of the Trinity and people have arguing. I don't want people to stop listening just because they don't agree with me on what the Trinity means. Right. But there's no, no doubt that Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Right. Okay. No doubt. Yeah. Right. There's that's, you can't argue with that. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the father. So how is it that the image of God, right? Things we see are images. If you've seen me, you've seen the father, the image of God is in a man. They're diametrically opposed, right? That's crazy. Yeah. That's that's that is, it's astounding. It is the and that's the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. so so then we see, yeah. then we see these principles that Jesus lived out in his actual life on Earth as a physical human, right? Mm-hmm. So, what are your thoughts? I, 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 we're kind of, I know we've kind of gotten the very philosophical, right? But it's like, man, I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm looking at Jesus. So basically what I would say is there, there's the bigness and then there's the smallness. And sometimes we need to spend more time in one or the other areas, right? Yes. Thinking about those things. Cause I have a limited view. I can't understand it all and even grasp it all at once. And I think that that's why going back to the hypothetical at the start, the Bible is very good at showing you different aspects of who God is. It shows you the bigness and it shows you the smallness and it shows you what those mean. So for example, in John 11, Lazarus, right? Everybody expects Jesus to heal Lazarus because Jesus had characterized himself as a healer previously, as a doctor, right? So everybody just put him in that box. You are a doctor, right? And then he doesn't act like a doctor, he, in fact, he learns that Lazarus is dying and then it's, it says, and he loved Lazarus and it says, so he decided to stay where he was four more days. It's like they are, one causes the other. Jesus knows Lazarus is dying and he loves him. So he lets him die, basically. Right. Yeah, and, to and, from us, his, and from Lazarus's family perspective, that's ridiculous. From everybody's perspective, right? specifically Lazarus's family who the writer of the book of John, John, says that Jesus loved them too. Not only Lazarus, but he loved his sisters as well, right? So I think that we have to understand, and we're going back to the presuppositions, that our experience in life in general defines who God is for us, and then God takes up upon himself to tear down those presuppositions, right? So we have to be very mindful of the idea that we might put God in a box if he's just a healer, 
or he's just a financial counselor, or he's just a judge. And when God doesn't heal me, or when he doesn't help me have financial success, or when he doesn't help me, or when he helps me, right, for the people who think that God is a judge, we yeah. get angry. We get angry and we doubt. And doubt and anger are perfect for God, right? When is, so when, when does God revel in showing himself to us? When, is, when, when are the moments in which he has the best time showing himself to us? Yeah, when we're doubting or angry. Right? right? Or yeah. when there's problems around, when there's a death in the family, when there's yeah. a storm, right? All when of I, these are... It's because our, our current baby, immature view of God is butting up against reality and it's not sufficient, hmm. right? Like the first time a loved member of your family dies, your shallow view of God's life and God's power and his ability to resurrect butts up against the fact that you just lost like one of the most important people in your universe, mm-hmm. right? And so now you're saying, okay, whatever I was thinking isn't enough. There's got to be more than this. And I think God is so good at at answering the question, right? Yeah. I think I think that what you just said to an extent it, this is another this might be a very theologically laden podcast sorry for those who as Josh said are super biblically literate um this might be to an extent the hermeneutic circle or cycle right okay. hermeneutics is the way we interpret things right if i i'm just going to leave it at that hermeneutics is the way we interpret things yeah so if I, if my current interpretation of God is anything that happens to me is good and everything that is going to happen to me is going to be good because God is good and then somebody dies I have to start re-examining how I interpret God right mm-hmm. and how do we do that when something unexpected happens how do we maintain God's character is God's character consistent Mm. Well, his character is, yeah. So how how how, right. how are those two? But the way um, it plays out is it, right. And mm. so I think, and so I think the your question is really practical. How do I deal with it when it happens? And I would say go back to this assumptions you know you're making. Like go back to those sources where you found that information and try to understand it more That's deeply. Very good. That's very you know? good. Like so, like for example, you know, Adventists believe in the second coming, and um. I think we're excited about it. We want Jesus to come soon. Mm-hmm. When when someone we love dies, it helps us see first that, okay, the fact Jesus is coming soon doesn't mean I get to escape suffering in this world. And it also, and for example, it might help you realize that part of your your passion for having Jesus come sooner was more about you escaping suffering than it was about seeing Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. Right. So when you get into these difficult moments, you start seeing your real motivations. You're not angry at God that he doesn't come soon. You're angry at God that you don't get what you want. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I I mean, let's try to take that back to Peter in John 13, right? Peter's not really um, praising Jesus, right? When he says, when he tells Jesus, don't wash my feet, that could be interpreted as Peter saying, you're too good, you're too awesome. But what Peter is really doing, and he does this consistently throughout the Gospels, is trying to exert authority over Jesus, right? 
because he does that in John 6. He says, and Jesus calls him Satan. He, Peter says, you can't die. Jesus is predicting his own death. And Jesus says, you can't die, right? The same thing. You're too precious. You're too valuable. But deep down, I have to have the authority. I have to be right, right? Yep. And Jesus points to what is beneath the um, facade of, uh, I'm, I'm so worried, right? There's that facade of, I'm so worried. And Jesus doesn't speak to that. He speaks to, get away from me, Satan. Stop trying to define who I am, because that's what he did. And so this gets a very Adventist territory in E.G. White. She says that Satan tried to define Jesus to an extent, right? I'm, yeah. I'm skipped over a lot of steps for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what basically Satan does in Eden, right? Yeah. And th so this is another conversation. Um, we're trying to talk about who God is. And in order to understand who God is, we have to understand who he isn't. And we have to understand who is trying to make us believe who God isn't. And that's Satan, right? Yeah. In the Garden of Eden... Satan said to Eve, oh, God said this to you, but actually the opposite is going to happen and you are going to become like him, right? Mm -hmm. So God said something was going to happen and that's not going to happen. So Satan said God was a liar and Satan implies that God is a liar because he's insecure because what God was lying about is that you're going to become like him, right? Mm -hmm. So going back, I, we went on a super tangent there. <laughs> basically what I'm trying to say is we try to define God and yeah. when there are problems our definitions our man-made definitions our projections onto God begin to crumble when God washes our feet yeah. when Lazarus dies our assumptions about who God is begin to crumble so going back to that hypothetical if you want to know who God is there has to be trouble there has to be difficulty maybe not death but just you have to test yourself in order yeah. to know who god is you have to test him or maybe he's testing you so that you get to know who you are in his light because yeah. god defines us we try to define god but he's the one that defined us he's defining peter as somebody who needs help right when he washes his feet he's defining adam and eve when he makes them you're made in my image right so I, I don't know where to take it from there. Well, no, specifically. But that actually, that's perfect because it made me think of, so look at Peter's life, right? You pointed out how time and time again, Peter had the same issue. And part of it was he had this idea of what the Messiah was going to do. He believed I, the Messiah was going to come as like a victorious general and be powerful. And you see that even in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Peter tries to cut off a dude's head, yeah. right? I mean, come on. Can you imagine you doing that? Like, we're like, getting put in prison and you try to cut off a police officer's head because you think that's what God wants. I mean, Peter really had a very strict view and Jesus directly confronts him. Peter tries to cut the guy's head off. He cuts off his ear and Jesus heals his ear. And finally, it wasn't until Jesus follows through with his plan, doing exactly what Peter didn't want to happen. Jesus dies on the cross that Peter has this like moment of total suffering and weeping and failure is broken and he has to he comes to the end of himself and he accepts who jesus really is this sacrificial loving savior who's much different than what i would want him to be and although it's hard that transition he ends up being much better for it and and i want so that brings me to this point i wanted to ask you about in the bible there's a lot of journeys like there's a lot of stories of people who went on a journey with god right 
You see, there was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob with David, with Jesus traveling around, Paul traveling around the Mediterranean. These guys are on journeys and God is doing things. How do you think that applies to what we've been talking about today? I think it kind of goes back to the vine, right? That it's, God is cognizant. God knows that we need a journey. That it's not enough with just reading the Bible, the Facebook profile, to know who he is, mm. right? We're going back to the, the basics, right? If you want to get to know somebody, what are you going to do? Spend time with them. You're going to talk to them. You're going to spend time with them. You're going to do what they like to do, right? You might invite them to do things you like to do. And then you might find out that they love those things. And you didn't expect, like, you like working out? You like <laughs> cooking? What? That's crazy. And you might find out that they don't like other things you like doing. Hmm, I felt like we were separated when I was at that club. Or I felt like we were separated when I was hanging out with those specific friends, right? That talk about those topics that maybe you don't like to talk about those topics in that sense, mm. right? So we have to invite God into our lives in order to get to know him, which is, again, very cliche. And I, to anybody who's listening who might have listened to that cliche way too much, maybe that's a cliche because it's true, right? Try to do things with God in your life and be like, hey, I want to hang out with you at this moment. I want to experience you when I'm working out or when I'm cooking or when I'm cleaning or when I'm in the bus or in class or at my job, right? And when we begin to do those things and mm -hmm. we begin to encounter impasses, we're going to know who God is once we break those impasses through his mercy, right? I think that journeys are good because they have difficulties that help us understand who God is. Perfect. Perfect. That's, that's great. I, I had one more thing I want to talk about and then I want to ask, I'm going to, so I'm going to give you a little heads up here. I want you to share one area where you've learned that about God, where you've been on this journey and who you thought God was, you were a little off and you've had to learn, right? Um, so I, yeah. I'm going to, I'll ask you that, but first I want to bring up something to give you some time to think. Uh, so there's a story where Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And he says, right, judge not lest ye be judged. And he says, first, you need to remove the plank from your own eye mm -hmm. so that you may see clearly to remove the speck or the like a little piece of stick from your brother's eye. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that kind of brings me a lot to what we're talking about here in life. We're on this journey and we have to get rid of the stuff, our ignorance, our misunderstandings, our sin, our brokenness yeah. that is making us, we don't even, we're so broken that we can't even see things clearly, right? And so then when we remove that thing, all of a sudden, boom, wow, we can see so much more clearly and then we're able to help someone else, right? And it, it makes me think, for example, I grew up in an alcoholic home and my mom became a counselor. The fact that she struggled with alcohol is actually what made her such a good drug and alcohol counselor yeah. because she could see that little twig. She knew exactly what it was like to have that twig in her eye, but she had to first not be an alcoholic so she could see clearly to help her brother. That's very um, hopeful because it means that maybe at one point in my life, I'm going to help people that have the same perspective of God that I have currently or that I'm shedding currently. Yeah. Maybe help them on their journey to shed that perspective as well. 
and you ask me what is a, a specific area of my life, uh, one very specific one is my calling and responsibility because I view God or I viewed God as someone who would strike down with, you know, fury if I didn't produce, if I didn't yield fruit, if I did, if I, if, if, if everything I did wasn't perfect, I believe that God would revoke the calling immediately, that I would lose all my influence or all my um, gifts immediately because God gives us gifts and responsibility for us to yield product. And in, in my case, in Colombia, that's baptisms. And that, and it's it's interesting because I'm not even graduated yet. So I'm scared about something that hasn't even happened. And I'm like, God is going to take away the opportunity to work for him before I start working for him because I'm, and it's like this anxious cycle that is horrible. So what I, the, the way I've realized God doesn't view me that way, that God isn't going to strike down with a hammer as soon as I don't read the Bible at 5 a.m. every day is because um, of my wife, that I've married a woman who is very godly and who I know is going to help me in the ministry. And God wouldn't have gifted me, my wife, if she's not a possession, of course, but having somebody like her feels like a treasure, right? So the fact that he's given me somebody who is so adept to the ministry shows that he has faith in me. And the fact that other people, I think, here really have shown me that God wants me to work is because I've been able to reach other people with my efforts. Other people have had a positive impact in their life thanks to the effort that I have put in spite of the fact that it hasn't been perfect, right? So yeah. that shows me God is merciful. And last one, there have been uh, miracles that have happened, right? I, I, I had to talk to these people that live next to me, next door. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to them, but I wasn't very assertive during the conversation. And it kind of died down, the relationship between us. And I was like, it's going to be too awkward if I just walk up to their door again and knock on it. Yeah. And I never see those guys outside of their house ever. And when I was complaining and being anxious at God, praying, quote unquote, the guy was outside, out there. And I never see him outside. And to me, that was like God handing me a freebie, being like, it's not all about you. Mm. Right. So I think that's been a specific and I so to close it off it's impossible to experience God's mercy if you're not at a place where you need mercy or where you and realize you, it right yes or you need grace so you have to be working you have to be trying you have to be failing in order to experience who God is I think mm. it's very yeah. difficult to do that when you're sedentary where you're closed off he's still going to look for a way to find you But it's di it's more difficult. Yeah, yeah. You're less open to it, right? You're less open to his. Well, and and I like how what you just shared is like, it wasn't just that it was this all of a sudden thing. It's like you had an idea of what success in ministry or success for Jesus looked like, and you're saying, you know what, baptism numbers or changing the church in an obvious way isn't the only measurement. God has used me to help people, yeah. and that does that is that's awesome. Like, that's a miracle. That's like, praise the Lord, right? Amen. That's good. Well, and I think anybody who wants to start this journey with God, 
Um, if if they could, if they could know one thing about who God is before we go, what would you give them as a suggestion, like to to really give it a chance? Sorry, the question is, what would if I if I wanted to tell people one thing about who God is, what would I tell them? Yeah, like something from them to accept as truth for a while to just give that idea a chance. This might be a bit weird, but God defines himself. God decides who God is, not mm-hmm. us. Amen. Amen. I would say that. Yeah, man. I struggle with that sometimes, right? It's it, Everybody. We don't yeah. want to accept who God is for yeah, a variety of reasons. Uh, is there any way that people can like see your ministry? And do you have like a website or a YouTube channel or a Facebook page, whatever, that uh, people could find you on if they wanted to connect with you? I think my YouTube channel is called Manuel Castro. I'm going to post a couple sermons on there. Um, All right. And they're in Spanish only. I think one of them is in English only. Okay. Um, so if you want to learn Spanish by listening yeah. to a couple sermons, then you are more than welcome. Awesome. Well, good, Manuel. Uh, It's been a blessing. I I really appreciate you taking your time. And uh, for those of you who are listening and watching, uh, we are going to be continuing to post to this podcast and on YouTube. So be sure to follow, subscribe, like all the good stuff. And um, if you have any questions or thoughts that this talk brought to your mind, be sure to post them so that we can follow through and answer the questions and and grow together as we go on this journey that Manuel and I were talking about together with God. So uh, God bless you. Uh, Manuel, it was good talking to you. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. God bless everybody. It was All a right. pleasure. We'll, we'll see you around, man.